describing the eternal life God seeks to give you, here's Pastor Ed Ray. Age-abiding life, it literally means. Life that starts here, because you're not really alive until you surrender to Him. You know this. But then, when you surrender to Him, He puts us on a different pathway that heads to eternity, but He leaves us here because we have things to do. You have things to do. Different than the person right next to you across the room, different than mine, but God has called you to a certain thing, a plan for your life. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. God has a glorious plan and a high purpose for your life. For some, that's exciting. For others, it may be intimidating. Not to worry, God gives us what's needed to meet the challenge. And that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you're new to the broadcast, it's good timing as we begin a new book of the Bible, 2 Timothy. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young and timid pastor encouraging him not to fear. Maybe fear has consumed you lately. Beginning by reading this encouraging scripture, here's Pastor Ed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we embrace it. May we understand it. May you help us to apply it to our lives now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Fear. Not a popular subject, but an important one for us to consider as Paul has brought it to our attention this morning. I love the story of the little boy that was fearful in a thunderstorm. Maybe you've heard it. He was really upset with the lightning and the thunder, and his mom took him up to the bedroom to put him in bed, tucked him in, gave him a kiss. And he said, Mommy, will you please stay in this room with me tonight? And she looked at him, and she kissed him again and said, Sweetheart, I can't, I need to sleep in daddy's bedroom. And he looked at her for a minute, quiet, and he said, the big sissy. <laughs> Fear, that's what we're looking at. 
It's about 68 AD uh, when this letter we're looking at was written. There's an old man who is in a prison cell in the city of Rome. It is a little cell, maybe 30 feet in diameter. It is underground. It is dark. It is near the river. It is cold and a miserable place to be. He's chained. It's called the Mamertine Prison. You can still go and visit it today in Rome. It's right across from the old Roman Senate. This man is involved with a pastor. Now, the pastor is hundreds of miles to the east in the city of Ephesus, which was the capital city of Asia Minor. And it's a huge, bustling metropolis of half a million people. And he is uh, going back and forth with this old man. Now, you would think, since he's a pastor, that it would be him encouraging the man that's in prison. That would be normal. But this is not a normal man that's in prison. This is the Apostle Paul. And it is Paul that is writing to this pastor to encourage him. Because this young pastor is in his first church. It's a difficult city. He's having health problems. He's struggling with persecution that started in the Roman Empire. And he is timid in his normal personality. He does not like to confront people. He would much rather be your friend than someone who could challenge you to grow in God. Paul realized that he himself was about ready to face death. In, in chapter 4, I have finished the race, I've fought the good fight, and I'm ready to go see my maker. So God has showed him that he's close to death. That's how we can date the letter. We know that in 68, Nero, who is the emperor when Paul was in prison, died in the last part of June of that year. We also know that four years earlier, in 64, July 19th of 64 AD, that Rome burned to the ground. And the historians that have studied it believe that Nero himself hired some hitmen to torch the city so he could rebuild the city in a grander style. But for some reason, the people weren't excited about all their businesses and homes burning to the ground, and they started a riot, so he put it on the Christians and said the Christians had done it. They'd caught the people that had done it, and a thousand jokes there about fake news, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> and so they were persecuting Christians. And in fact, it got so bad at the end of Nero's time that they were feeding Christians alive to wild animals in the Colosseum, the circus. And they had taken some Christians, covered them with wax, and lashed them to poles and used them for burning torches alive to light Nero's gardens and fight gladiators and to just be killed openly in a public square. So that's the setting in Rome, and it's starting to affect this capital city of Asia Minor, of Ephesus. Timothy is struggling. He is needing some encouragement. 
And so Paul writes to him with this understanding that he's about ready to face death, and he gives them words of encouragement. He's chained in that filthy prison in a dungeon, but it's him that's encouraging the young pastor. Timothy senses, as we do when we read this, that this is the dying man's last words. And for some reason, that grabs most people's attention. Maybe it's we think perhaps they were old and wise, and so there's something we can learn from them. And certainly there is truth in that if you go through the, the last words of dying people. The Bible has a number of last words of dying people, and they tend to be that way. Uh, we know that Jacob, who had the 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, that at the end of Genesis, as he was dying, on his deathbed, he props himself up, swings his legs over with the 12 sons there, and he begins to go around the room and say things, pray for them, but say things that were prophetic, that they turned out to be spot on. The shortcomings of these men, of which the tribes of Israel were already starting to come from, as well as their strengths. Abraham did the same. Moses, his last words are recorded in Deuteronomy 33. And there at the bottom of Mount Nebo, he said, the eternal God is your refuge. That's where you run in difficult times. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So God is the strong tower that you go to that covers you. But underneath, you're also being supported by God's arm. Great word for all of us. New Testament, same thing. Last words of the dying man, Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And his final words was a prayer. They were a prayer for the men that were trying to kill him, stoning to death. And he said, Lord, I commend my spirit to you. Lay not this sin in their charge. I forgive them. Please forgive them, Lord. We believe the apostle Paul was there participating in that, so he was praying for Paul. It worked. How about Jesus' last words? To die. It is finished. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And into your hands I commend my spirit. So, these final words tell us something about the mindset, the soul, and the spirit of the people that were facing that final step. How different for believers than unbelievers. Pastor Ed Ray with insight on the significance of last words. Before we dig into 2 Timothy chapter 1, Pastor Ed will illustrate the difference in the last words of believers with unbelievers here on Grow in Grace. The atheist Voltaire, French philosopher, was famous for saying in his day, he said that Bibles in his lifetime would be found only in museums. Nobody would believe the Bible anymore. The humor in that is that the Geneva Bible Society bought his house after he died and printed Bibles from his own residence. A certain irony that God had to add to that, I guess. But his death was one that was not a happy thing. He didn't have any hope. He didn't have any expectation. And he said, quote, 
I am about to make my final voyage, a great leap into the dark. Ooh, he didn't believe there was anything after it. Uh, probably the worst one that I read of an atheist was the German philosopher Bertha. Uh, Bertha was uh, very arrogant during his life, speaking often against Christians, but on his deathbed he said, or actually he cried, screamed, more light, more light, more light, and he died. No hope, no expectation of coming good. By the way, those are great things to share with your atheist friends. <laughs> I did yesterday with a man who was very unhappy with me. But if we care about people, I was an atheist till I was 26, so if we care about people, somebody cared enough about me to confront me. You have to expect the blowback. Actually, that's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Don't be fearful that, in fact, God has given you power. So say the words, expect a little blowback, and then look for God to do a miracle in their life as he's done in yours and in mine. So the Apostle Paul's last words are important to us. Uh, they're written to a young man, but they're written to you and to me just as much. And uh, Paul breaks this up. This first section can be broken up into three parts. Grace, mercy, and peace, verse 1 and 2. And that he's praying against fear. Timothy, you've been fearful, he says, verse 3 through 5. And then finally, stir up the gift that's in you without fear. And we all need this message every one of us. So, uh, fasten your seatbelts. Let's jump in and see what God would say to us. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus. So, clearly, uh, Paul says he's a messenger appointed by Jesus Christ in rather an ironic way as he was going to kill Christians. Jesus knocked him down on the road to Damascus, and he understood what he was supposed to do. God said, I'm going to send him. He tells Ananias in Damascus, I'm going to send him to Gentiles. I'm going to send him out into the world. So he would, Paul didn't have to wonder if he was doing what he was supposed to do. According to the promise of life. Now, the sentence of death is upon Paul, but he's talking about eternal life. Age-abiding life, it literally means. Life that starts here, because you're not really alive until you surrender to him. You know this. But then, when you surrender to him, he puts us on a different pathway that heads to eternity, but he leaves us here because we have things to do. You have things to do. Different than the person right next to you across the room, different than mine, but God has called you to a certain thing, a plan for your life. Very much so, he wants us to step into his plan for us. So, it's interesting that he writes about life. Anyone in their right mind wants a complete, full life that is significant, that has an impact when we look back from eternity. John tells us this is the record. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in the Son, S-O-N, and he who has the Son has life. Well, how do I get the Son? You surrender and say, God, take my life. I surrender. Come in. It's that simple. According to the promise of life, it is a promise to all who would surrender 
that God would give eternal life to you and to me. So, the rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus and he said, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus took him through a series of questions to point to his need to surrender to God. Why did he ask Jesus? Because he saw that in Jesus was life, that Jesus is walking around touching people and they're being healed. Even the people the Jews weren't supposed to touch, people with leprosy. They were afraid they'd get leprosy if they touched, but not Jesus. He just went right in. No fear. That's what he wants us to do. Just push on through and do the thing that God tells you to do. This is a challenging set of scriptures. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus the Lord. Timothy, my own true son, it says literally in the faith, may grace, mercy, and peace be granted to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's literally what it's saying here. He says he's loved, that Timothy is loved by Paul and by God. You are loved by God. God loves you personally. I don't know in what condition all of you are in. Some of you I know, and you love God, you know he loves you. But if you're here this morning, maybe visiting, and you haven't yet grasped that, if you don't get anything else this morning, grab that. God loves you. So much so that he died for you so that you could spend eternity with him. It's simply the truth about every person on the planet. God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So Paul sees him as a son, a son who is a spiritual child of his, in the faith. You may be sitting here unable to have children. It does not matter in the family of God because there are people younger in the faith than you, maybe younger chronologically, who need you. They need you to lead them into a deeper relationship with God. I can say that to every person in here who is saved, every person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to use you to teach others, particularly those that are younger. You have kids? We got plenty of them around here. Go be a Sunday school teacher. Go work with our high schoolers. Go work with our junior hires. Now, there's a challenge. <laughs> Serious challenge. If you can teach fifth grade boys and keep their attention, you have a call on your life for something very important. So, God is telling us that he loves Timothy through Paul, and he wants us to do the same, love other people, young people, and... Treat them like children, and they start out awkward. You know, babies, they wake up in the middle of the night, and us dads pretend we don't hear them, wait for the mother to go take care of them. And it comes at awkward times, right? Midnight, two in the morning, and, and that may happen if you give yourself to help someone grow in Christ. I get calls in the middle of the night often. Expect it to happen, and you won't be disappointed when it does. But someday in heaven... In eternity, you'll stand with this person next to you, and they'll say, thank you. There's not enough thank yous. You can't say thank you enough for the person that leads you to Christ or helps you grow in Christ so that you make it all the way. So, verse 3, I thank God. 
I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. So Paul says he's thankful for Timothy, and he says he serves him. Now, don't get confused. Some people try and take this pure conscience thing to mean that Paul had a pure conscience when he was killing Christians. That's not what it says. The Greek tense is present, not present perfect, not going back. But he said, as I'm writing this letter at this moment, I have a pure conscience. I have a clean conscience. Conscience is that little voice. It's not entirely the thing you can trust without question. Because sometimes we sear our conscience to the point it doesn't work anymore. But God gave us a good one when we started. I was looking for an illustration of this great story. There was a, a young kid who was at a local children's hospital, and his name is Jimmy, seven years old. But he was a constant troublemaker into everything. Nurses were trying to keep him in his bed. He was in chemo. One day, a weekly visitor who knew him well said, Jimmy, if you're a good boy this week, for a week then I will give you a quarter when I come back. A week later, I stood by Jimmy's bed and said, Jimmy, now I'm not going to ask the nurses how you have behaved. You must tell me yourself, do you deserve to have a quarter? He put his covers over his head and he said, give me a penny. <laughs> Honest kid. <laughs> so the conscience speaks very clearly, even to little seven-year-old kids. Paul said, I had a clear conscience, as my forefathers did, as the Jews did who understood the Messiah was coming. They didn't understand what we understand, that the Messiah was God, Emmanuel, God with us, even though it was there in the Old Testament. They don't grasp it like we can because we have hindsight. But they served Him to the best of their ability. As without ceasing, and Paul talks about his prayer life here, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Now, you can argue he's talking about twice a day or that it's doing it all the time, but the point is that Paul was a man of prayer. The word prayer appears in every letter that Paul wrote. He understood that prayer changes things. Do you believe that? God will change people if you pray for them. You have been given this powerful weapon called prayer. Paul understood that. He knows this young man's struggling, and he lifts him up in prayer constantly and tells him about it. So he'll, imagine if you knew the Apostle Paul was praying for you every day. Wow. Looking forward to meeting Paul someday. I want to talk to Jesus first, of course. But then I want to sit down with him, you know, with you know, a couple thousand years. We've got plenty of time. And I have to stand in line. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you would like to talk to him too. But he just strikes me as the, the guy who just kept on serving. And he just put his head down and kept serving God. The more stuff that came at him, the, the stronger he pushed. I remember you in my prayers. I'm praying for you. Today on Grow in Grace, we brought you a portion of Pastor Ed's study in First and Second Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org. Like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of 
Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love.